Today's scripture reading is going to come out of the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the 15th chapter, and we're going to take a look at the first 17 verses together. So I invite you to grab a copy of the scriptures and turn on over to John chapter 15. It's a well-known passage, uh, and it is taking place towards the end of Jesus' life. He has entered into his final week uh, prior to his death and resurrection. And so you may think about these are the words his disciples are hearing after they've been told by Jesus that he is going to face the cross. And of course, they are troubled by that, as you would imagine. And Jesus begins to explain some very important things to them before that moment happens. And so if you think about uh, the context in which Jesus is sharing these words, I think it It makes this even more powerful as we read God's word together. John 15, starting in verse 1, is the words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in my in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be it will be done for you this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples as the father has loved me so have i loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands and remain in his love I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. From my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. It's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is our ministry for those who are second graders or four year olds through second grade. And they're going to head over right here, as you can see, to Miss Pauline, our Kingdom Kids worker today. And if you have kiddos that haven't participated, you'll want to go with them, get them registered for Kingdom Kids. And you can pick them up after the service in our Christian Life Center right next door. They will be in the upstairs classroom. Uh, Speaking of... Meeting over there in the Fellowship Hall. We do have our business meeting tonight that Rosemary mentioned. And it is an important meeting. I hope that you uh, will make time to be there. We're voting on uh, some really key things when it comes to church staff. 
Um, we are uh, asking the church to approve um, an internship uh, for Chase in our worship ministry. And of course, you know Chase is the one that's helping lead our worship service. Uh, on most Sundays he's involved. Pretty much every Sunday he's involved in some way or another. And uh, we've already voted on our internship program for Josh and our student ministry. And now we want to add Chase to that list. And uh, one of the significant things we're asking you to consider is starting their internship now before summer starts. And that will give us a couple extra months. And, uh, and I think that's going to benefit both of those ministries so that we can get some things ready for a very busy summer season. I'll also say this. You know, uh, it's hard for me to believe, but I'm almost at the two-year mark of a sabbatical that I had uh, in, I don't remember which, which year was it. Was it well, if it was two years, 2021 then? 2021? So this summer will mark two years since I had that sabbatical. And when I came back from that sabbatical, of course, our, our worship and youth minister left to go back home to Oklahoma. And, uh, and that left, you know, some pretty big shoes to fill. We had some Our worship and our student ministry are two very significant ministries in the life of our church. And we didn't really have anybody ready to step in and take charge of those leadership areas. And so I, I felt compelled to do that myself. And, uh, and, and we as a church, I think, uh, did a great job of surrounding both those ministries, not only with um, volunteers that would help that mini- both ministries grow and thrive, but we also made some key part-time hires uh, with Lily and, and Taylor assisting those ministries. But we still have not had a point person for either one. And I've been that point person for um, the last year and a half. And uh, doing that plus pastoring, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's, been, it's been a load. And, uh, and I'm excited to be able to say that, you know, we're getting closer and closer to what we had hoped for uh, since that happened, which is to raise people up in our church to take on not just servant roles, but servant leader roles to be point persons in these ministries. And we've been working on that diligently for a year and a half, and we're starting to see the fruit of that work. And so to me, tonight is a significant uh, part of that in these internship programs. And so I just kind of want to explain a little bit about that. To you, so you have some understanding as we go into that meeting tonight of why we're trying to, why the personnel committee and myself we're trying to encourage you to consider these decisions, and I think that it's going to be just a great benefit to our church. So, if you are able to be here, please come and be a part of it. It's going to be right over next door, as Rosemary said, at six o'clock tonight. So, just a little word about that. Okay, now I want to pause and pray and take a look at these significant words of Jesus that we just read through. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the chance to be together on Sundays. Uh, God, we call it your day, the Lord's day, the day Jesus rose from the dead, the day the church began to meet to worship as a congregation. And, and Father, it's, it's, it's pretty neat that we get to follow in that tradition some 2,000 years later, gathering on Sunday to worship you and what you have done for us in and through Jesus. And God, like these early disciples, we need to hear the words that he shared with them. We need to hear and embrace what he has to say that we might be these branches that are fruitful because we are connected to Jesus, the vine. And then we might become even more fruitful as you prune us as the gardener that we that we would do all of that for your glory, not for ourselves, but for your glory. So, God, we just pray that we've read your word. We want to live your word. We pray your Holy Spirit would come into this place. We know you're already here. We pray that you speak to us. God, and help us to see exactly what it looks like to take what you have already said and to put it into practice in our lives. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, as many of you know, um, I grew up in a small town kind of like Kennedy. Actually, it, it was much smaller than Kennedy. If there was really a correlation, it would be more like Rungi. Some of you live in Rungi. It's a little bit more like we didn't have big stores. We only had like, you know, one gas station. We didn't, we didn't have a stoplight, just like one of those flashing ones, you know. So this is a very small town. And we don't really actually have family that lives in Wortham anymore, where we're from. Marsh and I grew up in the same town. Uh, and so... But we still go through there because we have a lot of family that lives around Wortham. And so we're often in the area. And a few times ago, we were driving around. And I hadn't done it in a while. I thought, you know, I want to drive the kids around town and just kind of show them, you know, here's, here's where, you know, mom and dad grew up. And, and drive them, you know, they've seen the church. This is where mom and dad, you know, this is where we went to church. This is where I, we were ba- I was baptized. And licensed to ministry in First Baptist Church, Wortham, all this stuff. And just showing we were married in that church. And, Show them those connections. But one of the things I would like to do is just kind of drive them around to the places that I lived in town. Marshall lived outside of town. But I lived in town. And so I'd drive them, about, drive them by the old houses that we used to live in and show them, you know, you know this is where that happened or that's where that happened. And, you know, and, and show them, you know, uh, you know that, that's where I've spent the first few years of life. And then we moved over here. And then I lived in this house until I graduated. And so I get to kind of show them, you know, all these, all these places that we lived that, that were home to us. You know, they were, that, that was home for me. And I, and I remember, you know, being in those rooms and playing in that backyard and, you know, and, and just experiencing that together and just telling them, you know, a little bit about my childhood and, and, you know, and they, of course, they would want to know, you know, you know, did you ever do anything silly or dumb? I'd say, no, never. I was a perfect child. I never made any, I definitely didn't break that window over there on the third window on the left side of the house. I definitely didn't break that. Uh, I did not climb up that antenna thing and jump off on a trampoline. I didn't do, I didn't sneak out that window as a teenager. I didn't do anything wrong ever, 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 ever. No, I'm kidding. They didn't ask me that. But that's what I would have said had they asked me that. I had the speech prepared, but they, they were not curious about that at all. But it's kind of interesting because I know if I walked into those same places, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really necessarily feel like home anymore, right? It, things have changed. Things are different. I, I can't imagine. I mean, just the outside looks so different than it once did. I can't imagine how different the inside looks. It was once home, but it's home no longer. In these words of Jesus, he uses a word that is connected to the idea of a dwelling or a home. And it's the word translated remain. In some of your translations, it's not remain, it's abide. And that word abide, in the Greek, it's minnow. And it's a reference to a place. When it's referencing a place, it means to tarry in a place and to be continually present in that place to not depart from that place to remain to abide something significant about that that we can make our home anywhere we, most of us have moved from one place to another we move from house to house but we've also left a home and made a new home somewhere else and that got me thinking what what makes a house a home How, how do you get from one to the other? Because you can also go on vacation and, and our family's so big with, you know, family of six now, it's really hard to find. So you go, go to stay somewhere, you, you know, it's expensive to get a couple hotel rooms and they got to join together. And then true story, we've stayed in hotel rooms and the people call from below and they're like, you're too loud. And it's like, you should experience it from in the room. You think it's loud down there, right? 
Like, it becomes difficult. So we started to rent houses, you know, like on Airbnb and stuff like that. It's just a lot easier with a family our size, right? But, but we walk through the door and you know you're in a house, but it's not your home. Right? So what makes a house a home? What does it mean to abide in a place? To tarry. To be present. To not depart. You start putting pictures on the wall and arranging the furniture the way you want. And then you start making memories in that place. You're there. There's a sense of ownership in that. I think that might be a helpful way, and I wonder if Jesus used that word so that we could kind of wrap our minds around this idea that we are to be at home with him. We're not asking him to be a guest in our house. We're asking to be, or he's calling us to be at home with him. To feel that comfort of home. To feel that sense of ownership of home. To feel like, you know, this is where I belong, Right? I've got memories here. I've spent time here. This is, this is home. Something about that feel of being home when, you're, when you've been gone for a long time. You know, There's something special about that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be at home with me. I want you, I want you to feel that experience in my presence. He says, I want you to be at home with me. I want you to abide in me. I want you to remain in me. And what he says is, is that when we do that, there's going to be good results. When we make our home with Jesus, when we abide in him, when we spend time with him, when, when, when he is our place of memory, when he is the, the person in whom we've invested in a relationship, we have stuck it out with him, so to speak. We have been present to him, so to speak. That the person in whom we have not departed Minnow, we've abided in him. Something takes place in our lives. And, and I've said this before, especially to, to students. You know, when, when you start to get a really good friend, you know, and you find out, you know, that this really good friend of yours, you're spending a lot of time with them. And uh, it gets even worse when, when it's a girlfriend-boyfriend situation. But even when you have just a good buddy, right, you know, the things that they like... Right, you you start to like. I I never knew I liked that music or that artist, and and here my friend likes it, and they're listening to it all the time. Now I'm kind of like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. Or or they have a way of dressing, or the way of talking, or certain food they like, and and the more you spend time with them, the more they begin to rub off on you, and, and you become a little bit more like them. Right? It's kind of the nature of relationship. Is the more time you spend with someone, the more you're invested in a relationship, the more you remain with them, abide with them, are at home with them, the more you become a little bit more like each other. It's no different than it is with God. The more we spend time with God, the more we are are remaining in Him, are, are investing in that relationship with Him, the more He is going to rub off on us, right? And the illustration Jesus uses here is so beautiful. He says, it's, it's almost like you're the branches and I'm the vine. And if you want to produce fruit that the, that the vine is supposed to produce, think of like, you know, like grapes or something, which is most likely something that Jesus would have had in mind is that was a, a pretty significant thing, a uh, crop in there in, in, in Israel and 
you know, and, and they would take that fruit of the vine and make wine, and that, that was a sterile drink that you could drink, and you knew it didn't have bad stuff in it, because water often did. And so it was, you know, something they, they, they knew a lot about. And so, so you may have a, a, like a, a grapevine in mind, and you've got all these branches coming off of a grapevine. Well, a grapevine isn't going to produce oranges or peaches. A grapevine, by design, is going to produce off of its branches grapes, right? And Jesus is saying, if you are the branches and you're connected to me, I'm producing a particular kind of fruit and it's going to come through you so long as you remain in me. So long as you abide in me, so long as you are connected to me. And he makes that important point because there are those who seem like they're connected to the vine, but they're not. They seem like they abide or remain in Jesus. It looks like they profess it. But in truth, they are a vine that has been separated ever so slightly, at least enough so, that the saving life of that vine is no longer coming through that branch. And in the end, the word of God, Jesus tells us that branch will be removed and be thrown into the fire. He's saying there are some that look like a, a branch that belongs to the vine, but it does not. How do you know the difference between the branches that belong to the vine and the branch that does not? Fruit. Fruit. If that branch is connected to the vine and the vine is designed to produce fruit, specifically grapes, then that branch is going to produce grapes. And Jesus says there is a fruit in which I intend to produce in you. And if you remain in me, you can do this fruit. You can produce this fruit. It will come through. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. It's not going to be the most beautiful or delicious fruit ever. You may go through seasons where the fruit isn't so great. But somewhere on that branch, you're going to find some fruit. However shriveled up it may be, there's going to be some fruit somewhere, right? Now, what is that fruit? The first half of the parable, Jesus is laying out the parable itself. The second half of the parable, Jesus explains. And he says in the second half of the parable, clearly, this fruit is the fruit of love. Now, we say it's the fruit of love, but what does that mean? This is something I think is important as you study scripture, by the way. Is don't settle, especially if you've been reading the word of God for a long time, right? Uh, Sometimes we just settle into these cliches or these ideas or these thoughts and we just move on too quickly. We don't we don't dwell on what does this actually mean? How do I actually do this? I want to make sure we do that because this is a very familiar passage and we could very easily look at that and say, okay, fruit of the vine is love. We're supposed to be loving and discernment. And I know you would love to get to lunch early, but I've still got plenty of time. So don't, don't think you're getting out quick. We're going to take our time through this. Okay. So what is the fruit? The fruit is love. Jesus intends to produce love in us. What is that? And I've said this before, but when I, whenever I do a wedding, uh, this passage always comes to mind. And it's not, you know, it was on my wedding napkins. You know, this is my, may have been a part of your wedding too. You can't really escape 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when you talk about love, especially in a wedding. But, however, the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the church in Corinth, he is not writing specifically to husband and wife. He's writing to the congregation, the church as a whole. He's saying, church, this is how you should love each other, right? And then he gives the what I think and what I often say if I'm doing a wedding, 
he gives what I think is the perfect definition of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I think it's helpful to get some kind of picture in mind when we use the word love, because that can be kind of a flimsy word, and we use it for a lot of different things. What does it mean biblically? This is what it means biblically. This is what love looks like. Love is not emotion as much as it is action. I'm not saying love should be devoid of emotion or feeling or affection. Certainly it should not. But if you're going to bend one way or the other, biblically speaking, you're going to say love is more action than emotion. This is the action of love that should be showing up in our lives as Christians as we abide, remain, are connected to the vine that is Jesus. Again, you can get the idea that, oh no, I'm not doing that perfectly. I must not be a Christian. No, I'm not saying that. None of us are going to do it perfectly. We are all going to produce some shriveled grapes sometimes on some days, sometimes of the day, right? We're hungry, we're tired. Don't get around me. My grapes be shriveled, right? That's going to happen. That's going to happen, right? But somewhere in your life, there should be some marks of this fruit. Somewhere there should be marks of the fruit of love in you. If you are truly in Christ. If you've made your home in Him. If you're remaining in Him. If you're abiding in Him. This fruit should be showing up. However inconsistent. However imperfect. However sour at times it may be. It's still going to be showing up somewhere. Jesus says, you can't do that without me. Now, when I hear that, that's the part that resonates with me. It's like, yep, you got that right. I have tried to love without Jesus' help. I cannot love the way Jesus loved without Jesus' help. I cannot produce the fruit of the vine if I, as the branch, am not connected to that vine. I will need the help of Jesus to produce that fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That must mean the reverse is true. That connected to him, we can do anything he's called us to do. And the greatest thing God has called us to do, the greatest thing Jesus has called us to do, is to love. To love in patience and kindness. and To love without envy, to love without pride, to... Love with forgiveness, to love without pointing the light at myself, to love without getting easily angered. These, these are tough things. And, and it may take some time to work some of this out in our lives. But if we're making our home with Jesus, he's going to have a positive effect on the way in which we love. If we are abiding in him, he is going to produce this fruit in us. I want to talk a little bit about how I think that might look because that's what it is. What is Jesus calling us to do? He's calling us to produce fruit in our lives, specifically the fruit of love. We're doing that because we are connected to Jesus. And through that connection of Jesus, that vine is going to send its nutrients and its directions to us to produce that kind of fruit. 
Now, how that actually happens, I think we see in this passage, is that we begin to understand Jesus' love for us. And therefore, it impacts the way we love others. I think that's how it practically happens. When we begin to understand how Jesus, remember he is God in the flesh, stepped out of heaven onto earth for you and for me. How does he love? Once we begin to get an understanding of how Jesus loves us, we will begin to love in like manner. Imperfectly, yes. But looking more and more like Jesus, I believe so. So how has he loved us? He says, this is my command, verse 12. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now we're starting to get a picture. This is what the fruit should look like. It's not just generic love. It's Jesus' love. It's the way Jesus loves. The way Jesus has loved us. And then in verse 13, he fills that out even more. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what you would call foreshadowing. Jesus has already talked about this. He's going to the cross. He's laying down his life for other people. This is when love gets hard, right? It's very easy to say, I love you. It's very easy to write a card. And just put my name on it and says, I love you. It's easy to say a poem or sing a love song. That's easy. It's easy to love you when you're lovable. That's not so hard. When you're doing well, I don't mind loving you. No problem. But when love costs us something, when it hurts, when it's painful, When it requires more than we want to give. Now we're talking about Jesus' love. The world can find it easy to love people who are lovable. But Jesus, the Son of God, stepped on earth to love the unlovable. To love those who did not love him back. To love those who would literally rather see him dead than walk the face of this planet. And I'm not going to pretend like I wouldn't have been one of those. Like I'm so much better than those Pharisees or those Sadducees or those Roman soldiers. I don't think so. I, I very easily can see myself in their shoes doing what they did. I'm not better than them. Jesus has come to love those who are hard to love, which turns out it's all of us. It's every one of us. When love costs you something and you're willing to pay the price, now you're loving with Jesus' kind of love. Jesus endured the cross for us, scorning its shame, the scripture says, because there was joy set before him. The joy of knowing that through love, he would be obedient to the Father. Through love, he would reconnect God's creation with their creator, Jesus says, this is the kind of love I want to produce in you. This is how I want you to love those around you as hard as it is sometimes. But in verse 8, for my glory, 
for the glory of the Father, I want to produce this fruit in you. To demonstrate you are my disciple, you are learning from me. You have learned from me how to love even when it hurts, even when it costs you something. So that's where it begins. It begins with this understanding that this is how Jesus has loved me. And when we get this idea or this understanding that this is how Jesus has loved me, it opens me up to the possibility of loving others, even when they're hard to love. Because God, through Jesus, has loved me when I was hard to love. Now, here's another picture of it. It's not just that Jesus is willing to love the unlovable. It's the amount of love in which he is able to love us. And just just think about this for a second. Imagine perfect love. Imagine the most perfect human love you have ever seen. That might have been between a husband and wife. That might have been between a parent and a child. Might have been between the very best of friends. Imagine the most perfect love you have ever seen in your life. Where where maybe I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but man, it looked close, right? Just imagine that for a second. What's, what's the most perfect love you've ever seen on this earth between human beings? To have that in mind. Two sinners who were born and have or will die one day. Imperfect. And yet that's the best picture of love you've got to go by. You got that in mind? Say amen if you've got that in mind. Three of you. Okay, all right. Anybody? (laughs) Okay, you got it in mind. I trust more of you than the three have this in mind. Okay. Now imagine now, not just that love, like that gives you a human picture, but imagine then how great the love that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, had for His heavenly Father, the perfect being, Creator, Father above. Imagine that love. Now, wouldn't you say that that love eclipses any love you've seen here on earth between two human beings? Wouldn't you imagine the love that the Son has for the Father, both of whom are perfect, both of whom have existed since before time began, they created time, they were loving each other as Father and Son in perfect union, far before heaven and earth were created. Wouldn't you say that love is superior to any human love between two human people? This is not a trick question, okay? Would you agree with that statement? Say amen. More than three. All right, we're on a good track. Very good. What if I told you that the way Jesus loves his Father is the very way in which he loves you? Would you find that hard to believe? I find that hard to believe. In fact, I wouldn't believe it except he said it. I would doubt it very much that Jesus, the perfect son of God, could love his heavenly perfect father with the same kind of intensity, the same kind of of overflowing love as he loves me. I would just say that doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. He should love his father more than he loves me. Look at me. I'm not, you know, I just showed up like a blink ago. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. I make mistakes every day. 
I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't serve enough. All the things you struggle with, I am pretty much guarantee I struggle with it too. We're very imperfect people. How could God love me that way? How could Jesus love me that way? I would doubt it. I wouldn't believe it. Except he said it. Chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He's saying the Father has loved me perfectly. I love you that way. The reverse is true. I have loved the Father perfectly. I love you that way. He's inviting us into this. He's inviting us to make our home in the presence of his love for us. And when we begin to understand that that's how God loves us, it transforms us. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to be produced in us, namely the fruit of love. Now, i got to tell you, uh, I know for some, you'll hear that and you'll say, yeah, but I'm looking at how I love and I'm not doing so great. There's enough fruit there to know I'm a Christian, but there's not near the fruit I would hope to see or the fruit that I hoped that, that I think God would hope to see in me. How do I become more fruitful? Well, Jesus begins this parable by saying it's not just a vine and a branch and fruit but there is a vine dresser there's a gardener that is the father who comes along and and is pruning us so that we can become more fruitful in the difficult moments of life he's pruning us to soften us to help us to become more fruitful in those moments where you wake up early and you don't want to be up early but you got up anyway so that you could read the bible and pray In those difficult moments, God is pruning you to become more fruitful. God is at work in you. You may become more fruitful if you decided to partner with him in that work. But he is at work in your life. In the hard things, in the good things, in the challenges, in the blessings. He is at work to produce this fruit in you. Maybe we should just be more receptive to that reality that that God's doing this. I want to partner with him. Pruning is painful. It's not comfortable. But I embrace the challenge that God's bringing my way because I know it's going to produce good fruit in me. Maybe God's doing more in you than you know. Maybe God's at work behind the scenes and you can't see it, but he sees it. Maybe just being open to that reality that there is a gardener and he is doing work. It's not like it's all up to me to produce this fruit. My job is to do the remaining, the abiding, the connecting, to being present, to being at home with Jesus. But that branch is not producing its fruit. And that vine's not producing fruit in the branch by itself. There's a gardener. A lot is happening in our lives that God is present and attentive to, helping us to become the kind of fruitful branches he intends for us to be, that we might become more loving like him. And in my experience, it's slow work. It takes time. And listen, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm, my middle name is Gardener, but that's not the same thing as a gardener, okay? So I really don't have a green thumb. I've tried I can tell you how to ruin watermelon. 
Uh, I've got that down, done that before, right? But I'm really not all that good at it. But, but even when it goes right, even when you're doing all the things you should do, you literally cannot make a fruit grow. There's something in it that's happening. It's, it's God's design behind it and God's providence within it. Like, he's up to the good. Even as you do your part, he is doing the heavy lifting. We do our work to remain, to abide. Even that is a gift of God and the help of God. But he is producing in you. He is working in you. And I think sometimes we just have to trust that. Trust that God is up to good on our behalf. Trust that, yes, it takes a long time. I could go out tomorrow and plant a watermelon seed. And, and a week from now, it's not going to look like much happened. Now, I've already told you it wouldn't matter how long. It's still not going to be good. But you understand what I'm saying. If I were good at it, it would still take time, would it not? So I say that so you don't get discouraged by this reality. Because some of you may hear this and just think, well, I should be producing fruit left and right. And, and look at, you know, these shriveled grapes I'm producing. And I just want to say, give it, give it time. Be as gracious to you as Jesus is to you, okay? Did you know the Bible actually does command us to love ourselves? To love one another as we love ourselves. It kind of assumes that we're going to love it. Maybe you need to do some, you know, love yourself stuff. Not because you're special and and worthy and wonderful, but because I got to love me. God chose to love me. I'm not going to do what God didn't do. If God's choosing to love me, i got to choose to love So I'm just saying, be, be gracious with yourself. This takes time. You are going to make mistakes. Part of the pruning is confessing those mistakes. Owning up to the lack of love in your life that, that it's not as fruitful as it should be. But that does not mean God has given up on you. God has not stopped working in your life. Just keep remaining, keep abiding, keep putting pictures up on the wall and making memories and make that place a home. Make your home with him and see what he will do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that that you're the kind of God that wants to abide with us, wants to be with us, wants us to make our home with you. God, I pray that we find more and more ways to let you in. That we might feel at home in your presence. And God, that through that we may begin to see the fruit of love. Because we understand how you have loved us in Christ. And we are not worthy of this. But God, we are recipients of that love. And I just I pray for those who doubt that. I pray for those who who are struggling to believe the words of Jesus that you have loved us in the very same manner in which you have loved your son Jesus. God, I pray on faith they would receive the words of Jesus as truth for them. Not truth for people in their life that they see and think, "Well, yeah, they're loving. They're lovable." They're good, not me. They would reject that idea and embrace the truth of Jesus for them. Because I know, God, that that is 
That is how that love begins to take place. Your word tells us that we love because you have first loved us. Would you just bless us with that sense of your love for us today? Something would transpire in our lives where we would just know this is the love of Father shining down on me, his unworthy son, who has been made worthy by the blood of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe this morning you've got some people in your life that you're finding it difficult to love. And this whole time you've been thinking, yeah, but you don't know so-and-so. Because if you knew so-and-so, you'd be like, okay, you get a pass on that one, right? Can I just encourage you? Pray that the fruit of love would show up in the way you think and treat those people who are hard to love in your life. Second thing is maybe you're... You, as I just prayed, you're, you're the one that's having a hard time embracing this truth that God loves you the very same way in which he loved his perfect father, his perfect son. All you see are the flaws, the imperfections, the failures, the tendencies to sin. That's, that's all you're seeing in yourself. Would you just say to God, help me to embrace the truth of Jesus, that you love me the way you love your son? But thirdly, Maybe for some, you're thinking, I don't see any of this fruit. I am concerned. I am that branch that looks like I'm attached to the vine, but in reality, I'm not. And I don't want to end up like that branch that gets finally, totally, the, the illusion is gone. The branch is in the fire. I, I, don't, I don't want to spend any eternity away from God. I want in on that love. That this invitation is for you as well. Because the way in which you abide, the way in which you are connected to the vine is through faith. It's to believe. It's to trust. That God the gardener wants you attached to his son, Jesus the vine. He wants you there. He wants to abide with you. He wants to spend eternity with you. If you don't have that confidence, I, I just encourage you, pray. Accept what Jesus has done for you. Trust that. Believe that. Not on the basis of how good you are, but on the basis of how good Jesus was and is. That by faith you would embrace that truth. And your destiny may be changed from from hell to heaven.